He is the only light. He's the light for men and for women. He's the light for young and for old, for Jews and for Gentiles, for rich and for poor, for the educated and the uneducated, for the wise and the foolish. He is the light for every person in every place and in every time. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. I'm Bill Wright, and today Tom continues his current series with part four of The Power of Your Influence. You know, since the very beginning, a person's influence can be for good or for bad. Fact is, God determined that you would be able to influence those around you in various ways. Jesus used two common images to describe the power of your influence as a Christian, salt and light. And that's what we'll be exploring more of today. So open your Bible and let's join Tom Pennington now on The Word Unleashed. So you have the light of truth versus the darkness of error and ignorance. And you have the light of moral purity versus the darkness of sin. The absence of purity. What is Jesus saying? Well, obviously Jesus is saying something about himself, and we're going to get to that in the next claim that we're going to cover together. But first, Jesus is saying something about us. He's saying something about the world of humanity. He is saying, when he says he is the light, that the entire world and every individual in it lives in a state of blindness and ignorance and error. We are disconnected from the truth. We live our lives either in ignorance or in error. Jesus was also saying that the entire world and every single person in it lives in a state of sin, the absence of moral purity. You see, Jesus wasn't just making a statement about himself. He was making a statement about us. He was, in essence, in this great statement, teaching what theologians call the doctrine of total depravity. That doesn't mean every sinner is as bad as he or she could be. That's not true, thank God, because of the restraining influences he's placed in the culture around us, and even the conscience he's placed within our own hearts. But what it does mean is that we are affected in the totality of our being by sin. There is no part of who you are or who I am that has not been affected by the darkness of sin. And that's what Jesus was teaching. It's what the rest of Scripture resonates with over and over again. There's so many places you can go to see how God thinks of the darkness of humanity. Here are a few. Psalm 143, verse 2. In your sight, God, no man living is righteous. You know, it's interesting. In our sight, some people look pretty righteous, don't they? They're pretty good. Wish I could be like that. But in your sight, God, no man living is righteous. Ecclesiastes 7.20, Indeed, there is not a righteous man on earth who continually does good and who never sins. This is the testimony of our own heart, right? Your heart condemns you like my heart condemns me. You know that's true. You know you're not the exception. 
Ecclesiastes 9.3, the hearts of the sons of men are full of evil and insanity is in their hearts throughout their lives. Sin is a form of insanity, isn't it? We know it's self-destructive, and yet we make those choices. We know it's contrary to the God before whom someday we will stand and give an account, but we often choose that path regardless. Isaiah 64, 6, For all of us have become like one who is unclean, like the leper who had to say, Don't touch me, I'm unclean, I'll contaminate you. That's how all of us are. And all our righteous deeds, the prophet says, are like a filthy, menstruous garment. And all of us wither like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. We think we're in charge, but we're completely powerless apart from grace and apart from the work of God to withstand them. They just drive us away. What's Jesus saying here? He's saying, until you understand that you live in the darkness, you're not going to want the light. Until you not only know that the world is in darkness, but that you live in a state of spiritual darkness, you will never be interested in Jesus. The reason is you don't really understand how dark your own heart is from God's perspective, and you don't really understand how light Jesus is. And so you're happy. You're happy with the darkness. Jesus was also making a second claim in this great statement. He was saying that he himself is the source of absolute truth and of moral purity. He says, I am the light of the world. This is the second of the seven great I am statements in the Gospel of John. And the emphasis in these statements in the Greek text is on I am. We could read it like this. I am the light of the world. That's the construction in the Greek text. It's emphatic. I am the light of the world, Jesus said. Jesus, in his own person, is claiming to be the light of the world. Spiritual light, he says, is found only in me. There's no light outside of a relationship to me. Now, it's not really shocking that he claimed that. The Old Testament pointed to the Messiah as the way God would bring light. We already saw that in Isaiah's prophecies. Even the Jewish rabbis of Jesus' time who didn't embrace him still believed that light would be associated with the coming Messiah. In one Jewish writing, the Messiah is called the Enlightener, and the light dwells with him. So in chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus is certainly claiming to be the Messiah, the one who brings light from God. But he was saying far more than that. Because if you go back to the Old Testament, guess who the source of the light of God's people really was? It was her God, and only her God. Psalm 27, verse 1, Yahweh is my light. Look at Isaiah chapter 60. Isaiah looks ahead to the future, to the eternal state, and he says this in Isaiah 60, verse 19. In those days, no longer will you have the sun for light by day, nor for brightness will the moon give you light, 
but you will have the Lord, Yahweh, for an everlasting light, and your God for your glory. Your sun will no longer set, nor your moon wane, for you will have the Lord for an everlasting light, and the days of your mourning will be over. The Old Testament says the God of Israel, Yahweh, He's the light of His people. This was true during the wilderness wanderings. In fact, go back to Exodus 13. Exodus 13, verse 20. How did the children of Israel know where to go in that wilderness? How did they know where God wanted them? Verse 20 of Exodus 13. They set out from Succoth and camped in Etham on the edge of the wilderness. The Lord, Yahweh, was going before them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them on the way and in a pillar of fire by night to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. And he did not take away the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. You know what this is? This is what theologians call a theophany, an appearance of God. God manifested himself as a blazing cloud during the day and a pillar of fire by night. And he led them in that way. He was their light. In fact, and this is important, in fact, it was that reality that he went before them as a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day that was pictured in the lighting of the candelabra at the Feast of Tabernacles. The great Jewish scholar Alfred Edersheim says the lighting of the candelabra and this great ceremony commemorated the pillar of fire that led the children of Israel in the wilderness. In other words, they couldn't picture God, but he'd pictured himself as a pillar of fire. And so in the middle of the Feast of Tabernacles, as they celebrated God taking them from Egypt to the Promised Land, They lit these great candelabra and they represented God as a pillar of fire leading them. So when Jesus said on that seventh day, while those candelabra are gathered all around him, perhaps still just a little flicker of light from each from the night before, their light is now extinguished by the light of the sun. Jesus says, I am the light. You know what he was saying? He was saying that he was the light that led them through the wilderness. He was the Shekinah, the glory cloud. He was the presence of God that was with them in those times. He's claiming he's equal with God. He is the light for his people. By the way, the rest of John makes that clear as well. Look at John chapter 1. As soon as John introduces us to Jesus as the Word... As soon as he tells us he made everything, notice what he says about him in John 1 verse 4. In him was life, God's life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. That's describing the incarnation. He came as the light into the darkness of our world, and the darkness did not, and you notice the marginal reading I think is better here, overpower it. Just like you can light a candle, one little candle in a dark room, and the darkness can't put that candle out. The darkness flees before the light. Jesus was like that. He goes on to say, John the Baptist came, verse 7, to testify about that light. He wasn't the light, verse 8. Verse 9, Jesus was the true light, 
which coming into the world, there's the incarnation, enlightens every man. The only way anyone ever gets light into his soul is through Jesus. That's what John is saying. And Jesus himself later makes exactly the same claim. I am the light. Jesus is the light. He opens the darkness of men's minds to the truth. The truth about themselves, the truth about sin, the truth about God, the truth about how to become right with God. Jesus put the light on display. In his message, in the gospel he preached, in his character, in what he was like, and in his life and how he lived. And by the way, Jesus still demonstrates that same light today on the pages of the New Testament. You want to see the light? Read the Gospels. Read the Gospels and listen to Jesus' message of light, a message he called the good news, the Gospel, a message that lights our path from the darkness of our own lives into the light of our Creator. You learn that he claimed that his death could accomplish our spiritual rescue from darkness and bring us into light. That he would actually die in the place of sinners to satisfy God's eternal wrath against the sinner who believes. And that all you need to do for his sacrifice to become yours is to repent of your sins and believe in him and him alone. Read the Gospels and examine his character In the light of his character, as you see it on the pages of the New Testament, you will see your own utter sinfulness and selfishness and pride, as I do when I read it. But you'll see more. You won't just see your own sin. You'll see the incredible beauty and attractiveness of Jesus Christ. Read the Gospels and look at how he lived. And you'll find that his life is like a light to show you what God wants from us, how we ought to live. It shows us God and His ways. Jesus Himself is the light. He is the source of absolute truth and the source of moral purity. Jesus' third claim in this statement is that He Himself is the only source of truth and purity, the only source in all places, at all times, and for every person. He's not merely the light for his own people, Israel. He says, I am the light of the world. There is no other light. John Calvin, in commenting on this passage, says, Christ does not speak of it as what belongs to him in common with others, but claims it as being peculiarly his own. In other words, Jesus is making an exclusive claim to be the light. Calvin goes on to say, Hence it follows that outside of Christ, there is not even a spark of true light. Listen to that again. Outside of Christ, there is not even a spark of true light. In every time period, remember by the time Jesus lived, the great Greek philosophers that are studied in Western literature had lived and taught. In his own time, in every place, whether you're talking in that tiny nation of Israel, or whether you're talking in India, or China, or Australia, or Africa, or Dallas, in every place, and for every person. You understand that not Plato... Not Aristotle, not the great Greek philosophers that came before Jesus. 
not the brilliant minds of Jesus' own time period, not the great men and women who have lived since, the great leaders and the conquerors and the philosophers and the scientists. Of all of them, Jesus is saying, I and I alone am the true light that grates on the inclusivist atmosphere of the times in which we live. And yet, our Lord is the one who said in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. He is the only light. He's the light for men and for women. He's the light for young and for old, for Jews and for Gentiles, for rich and for poor, for the educated and the uneducated, for the wise and the foolish. He is the light for every person in every place and in every time. So in this statement that he's the light of the world, Jesus claimed the entire world lives in perpetual darkness, that he himself is the source of absolute truth and moral purity, and that he is the only source in all places at all times and for every person. In this remarkable claim, there's this remarkable statement, rather, there's one last claim that's related, really, to these others, and it's this. He himself is the only way out of the darkness in which you live. You see, Jesus personalizes this. Look at the second half of verse 12. He, now we're talking about an individual. In the Greek text, it's the one. Talking about one person. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness but will have the light of life. Jesus says every single person listening to me is in spiritual darkness, including you. And until you're willing to follow Christ, you live in and will remain in a state of spiritual darkness. The darkness of error and ignorance about God and spiritual things and the darkness of slavery to sin and its power. The only way to leave the darkness is to come to the only source of light and follow Him. What does it mean to follow Christ? Well, obviously it means to be willing to leave the darkness and to want to get out of it. To leave the darkness of your sin, the darkness of your error. That's what the Bible calls repentance. It's a willingness to follow Christ, which demonstrates a genuine faith in Him, a confidence in Him. So it includes an initial decision, but it's more than that. Because in the Greek text, the word follow is in the present tense. We could translate it like this. The one who is continually following me will not walk in darkness. In other words, in Jesus' thinking, to follow him is to live each day following him, literally. Which means obeying him. You have to follow where the light leads. Remember the picture? The picture was that pillar of fire that led the children of Israel through the wilderness. What did they do? How did they know where to go, what to do? They followed the pillar of fire, literally. It stopped, they camped. The next morning, it picked up and began to move. They knew it was time for them to pick up and move. They knew they needed to go somewhere. They needed to follow the pillar of fire, the light. That's what Jesus is saying. Every day, you must follow Jesus just as if he were your personal pillar of fire. 
Not literally and physically like Israel in the Old Testament, but spiritually, you and I follow him by following what he taught us through his apostles in the scripture. If you're a follower of Christ, you're following him. You don't get to map out your own course through life. Are you still walking in the darkness? Are you still, as a pattern of life, living by some standard other than Jesus and his teaching? Are you still living in an unbroken pattern of sin in your life? Are you still comfortable with your ignorance and error of the Scripture and spiritual things? Do you each day choose your own way, your own course? Listen, this is my life. I'll do what I want to with it. If that's true of you, then you're not following Jesus, however much you may think you are. But if you'll come to him and you'll tell him that you're willing to turn from your sin and the darkness and to follow him, he makes an amazing promise. Look at verse, the end of verse 12. He says, to that person, I will give the light of life. There are several possible ways to understand that phrase, the light of life. But it probably means this, the light that produces life. Light does that, right? If you want to kill your plants, just don't give them any light. But where there's a seed planted and the right light is applied, there's life. Jesus says, follow me, and you'll not only have the light to know what's true and where you ought to go, but in my light, you will receive true, eternal life. Folks, Jesus extended this invitation to the crowd He said it to the crowd gathered that day among the candelabra in the court of the women. He said, I am the light of the world. He said, come and follow me. But few were actually willing to do it. Why? Look at John 3. Jesus tells us why. Through the apostle John. John 3, verse 19. Here's why. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world. That's Jesus. And men loved the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. Here's why people won't come to Christ. It's because they know what it'll cost them. I don't want that man to rule over me. I want the darkness. I want the sin that I enjoy. I don't want to give it up. I'm not quite ready to give it up. But if you will, he'll receive you. Look over at John 12. Here's an invitation to you. This is from Jesus to you. John 12, verse 35. Jesus said, for a little while longer the light is among you. Verse 36, while you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become sons of light. There's the transition. Jesus is the light. But when we believe in him, we become sons of light. Look down at verse 46. I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. There's the invitation. You don't have to stay in the darkness of error, the darkness of slavery to sin. Jesus will give you light and life. If you've already come there, if you've already come to see that you're in the darkness, if you've already come to put your faith in Jesus alone to find light and life in Him, if you're truly following Him today, then you have the light of life. Let's pray together.
That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part four of The Power of Your Influence. Tom will continue with part five on our next program as he once again takes us to God's Word. And we do hope you'll join us then. But before we leave you today, here's Tom with some closing thoughts. You know, friend, my prayer for you and for me is that the Holy Spirit would enable us to be what we've been called to be, to be salt and light. That's my prayer, that we would be so transformed by what we're learning from our Lord's words in the Sermon on the Mount and through the work of His Spirit, that, that we would resist the influence around us, and instead we would exude the influence that comes from a life captivated by the power of the Spirit and a likeness to Jesus Christ. Salt and light, that's what we are called to be. It's what, by God's grace, we can be. May God enable you to be that today. Thanks, Tom. And friend, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear your story and how God is enriching you in your walk with Christ through this ministry. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at the wordunleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at the wordunleashed.org. Or you can call us at 1-877-577-WORD. And be sure to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do so by visiting thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening. The Word Unleashed exists because God, in His Word, has given you every spiritual resource you need to grow in Jesus Christ. It's our prayer that the power of God's Word be unleashed in your life.